good afternoon and welcome back to the Neurology Exam Prep Podcast, where today we're going to be discussing thalamus organization. And I have with me today, Dr. Muller. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Aaron. We had done an earlier version of this. I think it was uh, one of the first five episodes uh, back in our feed. And I thought it would be good to, to revisit it. Uh, really, the anatomy hasn't changed. Some of our newer listeners might not have gone back into the feed. So let's uh, let's revisit the thalamus. No, that sounds like a wonderful plan to me. I mean, it's definitely a very important uh, an anatomical structure in the brain. Everything kind of goes through it. And it's definitely something that comes up, not infrequently clinically. I know on the stroke service, at least going through, I've seen many of thalamic strokes with a variable presentation for each of them. So reviewing this anatomy is always really helpful. Yeah, I think that it comes up a fair bit clinically. I do think it's clinically relevant, as you said, because of loss of function. Also in, in my field in epilepsy, we're stimulating various thalamic nuclei in order to treat epilepsy. And so understanding its anatomy from that perspective is important as well. And it's one of those things that I think you just got to repeat a lot to understand. So we don't anticipate this being a long episode, but I think it will be good for people to just be thinking about this. And honestly, to internalize this for our listeners, they they really have to be able to map out, draw, diagram, make tables of the various thalamic nuclei and their function on their own. Agreed. Definitely got me through a lot of neuroanatomy in undergrad and through medical school and even now. So I think moving through this, we're going to kind of lump these nuclei and subnuclei together. The big four kind of groups that we were going to cover were going to be the sensory relay nuclei, the cortical relay nuclei, some of the association nuclei, and finally, there's a handful of more nonspecific thalamic nuclei that we'll kind of go over as well. But I think those are going to be the four major groups that we wanted to cover today. Yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, Aaron, to think about it that way. And I think this is how we reviewed it in the last session. I think the specific sensory nuclei, the sensory relay nuclei, are probably the ones that most of us can understand the best and remember the easiest. And I'm a, I'm a chunker, as you know, so dividing things into a relatively small number. There are five sensory relay nuclei that we're going to talk about, right? And each of these sensory nucle uh, relay nuclei basically receives projections from sensory organs, right? So we have things that carry information about touch, hearing, visual information, and then the, the gustatory system. And then relay this information, you know, modulate and relay this information to the relevant parts of the cortex. And so every medical student has to learn about the two tactile or somatosensory relay nuclei. And those are the VPL and the VPM. And so the VPL is the ventral posterior lateral nucleus. And the VPM is the ventral posterior median nucleus. The VPL carries sensory information from the body, from both the posterior columns and the anterolateral system, also known as the spinal thalamic tract, and sends that information to the primary sensory cortex, which is the postcentral gyrus. And this is body sensation. So this is what's carried in body sensation. The VPM, the ventral posterior median nucleus, carries information from the primary sensory trigeminal nucleus in the brainstem. So the principal trigeminal nucleus in the brainstem. 
and again, sends that information to the face area of the postcentral gyrus. And again, this is somatosensory information. So that's the VPL, VPM. They're both in the ventro-posterior aspect of the thalamus. And clinically, we can remember where this is adjacent to. It's right next to the internal capsule, to the posterior limb of the internal capsule. A nice way to remember this clinically is we have the classic thalamocapsular stroke, right? And that is a, usually a small vessel stroke due to occlusion of one of the deep perforating arteries off of the circle of Willis. And that gives you a subtle contralateral hemiparesis and often a very profound contralateral sensory dysfunction, that sort of pure sensory dysfunction, plus a little bit of contralateral hemiparesis. And, and I'm sure you've seen lots of those, Aaron. I've seen more than I care to admit. Very good. Hypertension is a very dangerous uh, disease that needs treatment. Uh, I'm sure there are other causes for thalamocapsular strokes, but hypertension would be top of the list by far. There is a subnucleus or a slight subtle nucleus of the VPM, uh, the ventral posterior median nucleus, called the VPMPC. VPMPC, I'll repeat that. And that's the parvocellular nucleus of the VPM. And that is taste sensation. So again, part of the face and head, you know, it's a cranial nerve type of thing, but it carries taste information from the solitary nucleus in the thalamus and carries that to the anterior insula where we, uh, where we perceive taste. So this is sort of our gustatory sensation. And then we have two more nuclei. We've, we've, we've done the VPL, the VPM, the VPMPC. And then we have two more, and those are the two geniculate nuclei. And Aaron, I always have trouble saying geniculate. It's hard to hard to stick the landing on that one. Uh, uh, I always sound like I'm slurring my words, like I have a subtle dysarthria, geniculate or something. But uh, but I always remember the geniculate nuclei, and I always remember that I have to pause before the G and say geniculate. And those are the medial and lateral geniculate nuclei. See, I, I did slur that even there, Aaron. And the medial geniculate nucleus, the MGN, is important for sound. So this carries information from the inferior colliculus, which uh, is, uh, is one of the main processing nuclei within the uh, midbrain for sound, and carries that to the temporal lobe, and specifically to the primary auditory cortex within the temporal lobe, which is the Heschel's transverse gyrus, right? That's that horizontally oriented gyrus within the sylvian fissure that processes primary auditory information. And then there's the LGN, the lateral geniculate nucleus. And of course, that carries visual information from the retina and optic nerve and, and relays that to the occipital cortex. And one study tip I would give to our listeners is to be able to draw the entire visual pathway, you know, to be able to draw from the eye, from the globe, through the retina, the optic nerve, the optic chiasm, the tracks, then the LGN, through the radiations and to the primary visual cortex, and be able to look at any one of those points, put a lesion, and uh, be able to sort out what type of visual field abnormality you might have. As it turns out, in the LGN, in the lateral geniculate nucleus, uh, you get a very unusual type of visual field abnormality called a sectorinopia. It's a, it's a small slice of the visual field that's often taken off. And that has to do 
with the organization of the visual pathways within the LGN. So those are our five sensory relay nuclei. Again, for those playing at home, you can think about if you can remember all of them, and I'll repeat them once more. VPL, which is primary sensory information from the body. The VPM, which is primary sensory information from the face. The VPMPC, parvocellular, taste. So that one's got good taste. Uh, the MGN, the medial geniculate nucleus, hearing. And the LGN, the lateral geniculate nucleus, which is vision. And again, for each of these, you want to be able to, on your own, again, for your own studying, sit down with a pen and a piece of paper, make a little table, have the nucleus, have the where information comes from, you know, what, what's the afferent, have where information goes to, what's the efferent, and have some idea of what the overall function is of these nuclei. Well, thank you, Dr. Miller. I think that was a fantastic overview of the really common, at least sensory relay nuclei that we think about probably most commonly going through our, you know, neuroanatomy education. Is it okay if we start talking about maybe some of the more subtle ones, like the cortical relay nuclei? Yeah. So the cortical relay nuclei serve a, a lot of the same function. That is that they carry information from one part of the nervous system to another and play important roles. But the cortical nu relay nuclei are, are motor, uh, essentially. They're not sensory. And so these nuclei play important roles in movements of various parts of the body. And we have our ventral anterior and our ventral lateral. Both of these are located in sort of the ventral aspect of the thalamus. And so our sensory relay nuclei tend to be sort of posterior and lateral. The uh, cortical relay nuclei are a little bit ventral. And there's the ventral anterior nucleus, the VA nucleus, which really plays an important role in directed eye movements and those eye movements that are sort of planned and that you're looking toward an object. And they carry information from the substantia nigra to the frontal eye fields. And the frontal eye fields, of course, are the start of the final common pathway for sort of voluntary eye movements when we think about moving uh, in one direction. And then the ventral lateral nucleus really plays complex role that I don't understand fully in movement. And so they carry information from deep brain structures, including the cerebellum and the basal ganglia. And they have output to the primary motor cortex. And so that's, uh, which of course is uh, just anterior to the central sulcus. It's the pre-central gyrus. And so you remember when you drew your direct and indirect pathways and you had information that was being projected up from the globus pallidus and so on. And, and then it said thalamus, right? You know, it, it, there was a picture of the thalamus. It really was the ventral lateral nucleus of the thalamus uh, that, that uh, was being referred to there. Gotcha. That's definitely a good overview of the cortical relay nuclei, particularly harkening back and putting into context the ventral lateral, which we don't always think of when we do think about the, the go and no-go pathways in the basal ganglia. I know I will, I will readily admit that it took a shock, shockingly long time before I actually put that together formally in my head. So thank you for being explicit about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we just draw the diagram and we put thalamus, but the, the thalamus is a little brain, right? I mean, it has a bit of everything. Uh, and so it, it would be like saying your brain moves your left arm. Yeah, it's true, uh, but it's specifically motor nucle neurons in the 
uh, precentral gyrus that do that. And similarly, the part of the thalamus that is primarily involved in sort of the motor aspects of the no-go, uh, the go-no-go pathway uh, are the ventral lateral nucleus. Now, to be fair, if we're talking about the direct and indirect pathways as they relate to eye movements, that's actually a ventral anterior nucleus. So it depends on the specific subfunction of the thalamus. No, definitely, of course. And hopefully going through this, we'll be able to connect a few dots for our listeners as well. Do you feel good moving on to some of the association nuclei now? I know these are definitely a weak point for myself, just given their functions may not be as discrete as the other ones. So I'd love to hear your approach to some of these nuclei as well. Yeah, I I think that would be Fine. And uh, I'm going to talk about a few. These are from my study notes nearly 15 years ago uh, when I was preparing for the Canadian Royal College exam. Uh, but but I we did review this, Aaron, and it doesn't seem like things have changed much uh, since then. So, you know, thalamic anatomy is, is thalamic anatomy. And these association nuclei, their functions sort of depend on where they are anteriorly or posteriorly. And that can be a little bit help, helpful at trying to remember their functions if you sort of connect where the overlying cortex might be. So there's the anterior nucleus of the thalamus, which, as the name implies, is at the very anterior end of the thalamus. And it's part of the PAPE circuit, right? So we remember our PAPE circuit, which starts, well, I guess it's a circuit, so it can start anywhere, but we often think about it starting in the hippocampus that sends an outflow through the fornix up and around down to the mammillary bodies. And then from the mammillary bodies, there's a connection called the mammalothalamic tract up to the anteronucleus of the thalamus and then out to the cingulate gyrus. So we can remember that the anteronucleus of the thalamus is important for those functions that are important in the PAPE circuit, which is memory. And the input is the hypothalamus, is the mammillary body of the hypothalamus, and the output is the cingulate gyrus. And clinically, the anterior nucleus of the thalamus is incredibly relevant because it is one of the main targets for deep brain stimulation for epilepsy. And the thought is that stimulation of the anterior nucleus of the thalamus can help modulate some of the circuits that are relevant for epilepsy syndromes, especially those that seem to involve anterior aspects of the brain, including the temporal lobes and uh, possibly the frontal lobes. So the medial dorsal nucleus of the thalamus is just posterior to the anterior nucleus of the thalamus on the dorsal end, as is implied, and more medially than laterally. And it similarly has connections that have to do with sort of frontal and temporal or limbic types of circuits. And so the medial dorsal nucleus carries information from the amygdala and from parts of the brainstem and helps form connections to parts of the frontal lobe. And because of where it's located and its connections to the frontal lobe and from the limbic system means that it's going to be important for things that are important with, within the amygdala and the limbic system, which include emotion, uh, emotional regulation and behavior, but also olfaction. And also, interestingly, some of the emotional responses to pain. So that, that's a relevant uh, part. The lateral dorsal nucleus is just lateral to the medial dorsal nucleus, but again, on sort of the dorsal, that top part 
of the thalamus. And it is also relevant for parts of emotion, especially those that relate to the autonomic nervous system. So the piloerection or tachycardia that you might get when you're upset uh, or with pain. And it connects information between the hypothalamus and the cingulate gyrus. And uh, both of these structures are important in the autonomic nervous system and also important connections within the limbic system. And then there is a posterior group of nuclei, primarily including the pulvinar, but also the lateral posterior nucleus. And they play important roles in higher level visual processing. So they have inputs from the superior colliculus, which is in the midbrain and carries visual information and outputs to association cortices, uh, those visual association cortices in the occipital lobe, and then also those visual association cortices within the parietal and temporal lobes. The parietal lobe, of course, is the wear pathway, part of the wear pathway in, in terms of visual processing, and the temporal lobe, the what pathway uh, in terms of visual processing. Again, to summarize our association nuclei from anterior to posterior, the anterior nucleus of the thalamus, part of the circuit of PAPES, stimulated in deep brain stimulation for epilepsy and carries information from the mammillary bodies to the cingulate gyrus. The medial dorsal, sometimes called the dorsomedial nucleus, is of course just posterior to that, but medially in that sort of dorsal group of the thalami, and again plays an important role in the limbic system and especially in emotional faction and pain. The lateral dorsal nucleus, just lateral to the medial dorsal nucleus, has important roles in the autonomic manifestations of emotion, and that carries information from the hypothalamus to the cingulate gyrus. And then more posteriorly, there is the lateral posterior nucleus and the pulvinar, which are important roles in primary visual processing. No, I think that's a great summary, especially moving from the anterior to the posterior in those kind of progression from memory, emotion, autonomics to more visually predominant processes, if we had to think about them and lump them together. Yeah, I think in general, you know, the thalamus anatomically is oriented so that the projections are going to be connected to those relevant aspects of the overlying cortex. And so the more anterior aspects of the thalamus are going to connect to frontal and anterior temporal structures. And then the more middle aspects of the thalamus are going to project to the pre and post central gyrus. So you're going to see a lot about, you're going to see a lot of connections that are relevant to movement and to sensation. And then the very posterior aspects of the thalamus are going to be important for visual processing and are going to send projections to the occipital cord. The brain really does try to make it easy for us. <laughs> I mean, I can't say that the thalamus really helps. There, Aaron, are, are a couple of other thalamic nuclei or nuclear groups that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm. And there are some more nonspecific thalamic nuclei which may have more diffuse cortical projections that play a role in attention and others that might play a role in sort of motor control. And these tend to be midline nuclei, which are probably relevant for our ascending uh, reticular activating system, right? They play a role in sort of attention and alertness and arousal. And then our 
Centrum Median Group, the CM Median Group of the thalami, which play a role in motor integration. And interestingly, the Centrum Median Nuclei, the Centrum Median Nuclear Group, is also a potential target for stimulation, deep brain stimulation for epilepsy. And there are several papers that have shown some emerging evidence of benefit specifically in epilepsy syndromes that have prominent motor types of seizures, you know, tonic and atonic seizures like Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. So we are seeing uh, stimulation of the central median nuclear group for Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. And then finally, I think we should talk about the reticular nucleus of the thalamus. And I have always joked and thought of this when I was a medical student for the first time that reticular nucleus really means you can't see it under a microscope. I'm sure there's a better definition, but I remember when learning brainstem anatomy that when they said the reticular nucleus, it was just really hard to identify it under a microscope. And I guess that's the idea, right? This is like a net or a loose connection of neurons. But the reticular nuclei within the thalamus, sort of this looser collection of of neurons that have inputs and outputs that remain within the thalamus, so it does not project in or out of the thalamus, play an important role in sort of the modulation of thalamic inputs and outputs. And uh, this is probably most important to understand for clinical neurologists or certainly for epilepsy specialists in the role that the reticular nucleus plays in understanding the function of generalized epilepsy syndromes. We know that reticular nuclei play an important role in the oscillatory functions of thalamic outputs and in the generation of brain rhythms, that these rhythmic bursts of activity that are generated from the reticular nuclei can result in rhythmic outputs, which can result in rhythmic cortical activity. And this can be normal, you know, things like the alpha rhythm or the mu rhythm, which are sort of resting rhythms of the Uh, occipital or the somatosensory cortex. It can include normal functions in sleep, like the sleep spindles. These are really related to the rhythmic bursts that are generated by, or, or at least in part related to the functions of the reticular nucleus. But then they can be hijacked for abnormal activity. And this is probably most relevant in things like childhood absence epilepsy. And the thought behind the neurophysiology of childhood absence epilepsy is that there is a hijacking of the normal structures and functions that generate rhythmic activity to generate abnormal rhythmic activity, like the three hertz generalized spike wave discharges. The last thing I'll say about that is we know there is a high concentration of T-type calcium channels, a a type of voltage-gated calcium channel within reticular nuclei of the thalamus. And of course, ethosuximide has a primary function of blocking or modulating T-type calcium channels. And that seems to be how it decreases the likelihood of somebody having generalized absence seizures. You know, that, that's the connection. That's the one connection I think of when I think of the reticular nuclei of the thalamus 
is sort of their role in generating oscillatory activity and how modulation or blocking of T-type calcium channels, which are particularly high concentrations within the reticular nucleus, has a role in the treatment of generalized epilepsy syndromes, specifically absence epilepsy. No, thank you for going over that. It's definitely something that we talk about, at least the, the channels themselves, the T-type channels, but the underlying anatomy of that, and particularly the role of the reticular nucleus in that is, is definitely something that I feel like I hadn't made a connection to until, until more recently. So I think that was all of the major nuclei that we wanted to go through for this lecture. We had kind of lumped them together with starting with the sensory relay nuclei, going through VPL, VPM, the VPM-PC, all of which are going to be involved with somatosensation and VPM-PC with gustatory sensation, the medial geniculate ganglion, the lateral geniculate ganglion for auditory and visual, respectively, and then going through the cortical relay nuclei, being the ventral lateral, ventral anterior for motor planning, one being more for the body, being lateral and anterior, more focused on eye movements. And then a wonderful review of at least a start and a process to go through the association nuclei, working from the more anterior nuclei back to the posterior nuclei in a transition from their involvement in the memory circuitry and the PAPE circuit, emotion and pain and autonomic correlations of emotion towards some of these higher visual cortices. And then even heading down to more non-specific nuclei involved in the midline and attention and the intrinsic thalamic nuclei with the reticular nucleus itself. And I think we were able to at least throw in a few clinical pearls here in terms of how they relate to epilepsy syndromes, stroke syndromes, and hopefully this will provide a good framework as we approach the thalamus from both a clinical perspective and also from a testing perspective. Yeah. And, and Aaron, I think that you know, if, if I were to choose things to test, I certainly would think it would be reasonable to test the sensory relay nuclei, right? To, uh, to understand their role in the pathway of carrying sensory information, whether it's somatosensory, gustation, or uh, hearing or vision. As I said before, I think it's really important to understand the visual pathways to understand the sensory pathways, and of course, to understand where and how the thalamus plays a role in those. I think that among the association nuclei, we certainly talk about the anterior nucleus of the thalamus a lot uh, because of its potential treatment relevance in epilepsy and also its place within the circuit of PAPES or the PAPES circuit. Uh, the medial dorsal nucleus does come up specifically as it relates to its connections to frontal regions and, and therefore its important role in behavior. Posteriorly, the pulvinar nucleus, of course, is important in visual processing. And then you're really left with the two sort of major cortical relay nuclei, right? Your ventral anterior, which, as is implied by its location, is going to be more anterior, which is going to be your frontal eye fields, a little bit more of that motor function that's a little more anteriorly located. And then your ventral lateral, which is a, a little bit further back and is going to be more important for primary movement. And I think if you understood the basic functions of those and their basic locations, you're going to be in good shape. Oh, definitely agreed. And I think with that, thank you, Dr. Moller, for once again walking us through 
a bit of thalamic anatomy and their correlates. It was a pleasure, Aaron. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, and hopefully this was a useful review.